But on January 10th, 2018, this is what I wrote that I, would, I was hoping to one day speak this in chapel. And uh, on January 10th, I read 1 Kings chapter 19, the whole chapter, but specifically, and I journal every day what I, what I read, and my journal has just become such a precious thing to me. And uh, I just love my journal. And uh, this is what I wrote uh, last year on January 10th. This is Elisha's ordination into ministry. God wants Elijah to recognize that there will be one who will follow him. That's good for you, Jim, being at West Coast. You know what? That's so true. You know, Elijah thought he was the only one. I'm thankful that I minister at a place that I get to look at all the Elishas down the road every time. You know what? Biblical Christianity is going to be fine. Because I see the hope, I see the future in my classroom every day. And I will tell you, there's a lot of Elishas in here. And uh, uh, we old Elijahs, you know, suddenly we go, oh, what's going to happen in the next generation? Well, I'll tell you what, Elisha ends up doing twice the miracles Elijah did. And you know what? Eli Elisha finishes, I think, stronger than Elijah did. And uh, I wrote this on last year. I said, this is Eli Elisha's ordination in the ministry. God wants Elijah, God wants Jim Shuttler to recognize that there will be those that will follow. God always has a man to do his work. Elijah is not alone in, the, in, in his dedication. He's not the only one serving God. So then I put down what I see in Elisha, and I looked at it, verses 19 through 21. I saw him plowing. Man, what a hard worker. What diligence. Then I put down, he was with, um, he was with the 12th. I, I, gotta, I, I'll, I'll, I don't think I can act it out, but this is the coolest thing. He wasn't driving this group of oxen. He was one of them. He was with the 12. He got his hands dirty. Nothing beneath him. He was right with the oxen. I just love that about Elisha. Number three, his priorities. Elijah was more important than the field. He left the oxen because there was something greater that he was being called to. Number four, I wrote down, he ran after Elijah. He was eager, enthusiastic, and opportunistic. Number five, he kissed his father and his mother. He showed respect, honor, obedience, and he finished the job at home before he went and did what he was called to next. You know what? Sometimes, because there's such a need out there for laborers, sometimes pastors... Tap into some of you to step out of Bible college. I loved how Elijah handled that. He says, hey, he throws the mantle on him. He says, you know, you, and then he says, hey, I got to finish my job here. I got to finish my stuff with my family. And then I'm coming, Elijah. And then I'm coming. I appreciate that. Listen, you don't need to be going anywhere until you get your work done here first. You finish here. You do what you're, okay, I know that there's pastors out there that can absolutely use you right now in their church. But you know what? I would say to those pastors, I would say, hey, you need to let them train and finish the field that they're in right now, and then they will be more profitable for you later on. Some of you, I know you got such a burden and a passion for ministry. I'm glad that Elisha said, hey, Elijah, I'm coming. I'm coming to Faith Baptist. I'm coming to Calvary Baptist. I'm going to be at First Baptist. I'm coming, Pastor, I'm coming. But I do need to finish, first of all, my schooling. And God's people said, 
yeah, yeah, I thought that was great what he did. And he came back, he kissed them, he showed honor and respect and obedience to his family. Number six, this is my favorite point, I will follow thee. He was absolutely committed, and this is our message today, he was all in. He was absolutely all in. Number seven, he took a yoke of oxen, uh, he was willing to sacrifice whatever it took to do the work in the ministry, whatever it's going to take, I'm willing to sacrifice because I want to do this. He took a yoke of oxen. Um, with the instruments, we'll talk about that in just a minute. No going back. He's fully committed. This is it, man. I'm not, there's no turning back. I'm never going to plow this field again. I am totally committed to what God's called me. And number nine, he gave on to the people. I thought that was great. He was generous, wanting to be a blessing. He ministered unto him. What a servant he was. It was all about serving. What impressed me today was the sense that Elisha's excitement to be in ministry. What really spoke to my heart today, Lord, was that his he was totally all in and committed. His respect for his parents and for Elijah. His willingness to do whatever and whatever. Then I put this at the end. God used Elisha because Elisha was usable and available. And God will use you as you are usable, available. I hope one day I can give it to College Chapel. Today's the day. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. So, he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. Okay, so apparently one of the oxen was sick that day. I don't know, or they only had 11 of them, whatever it is, or, or, or 23 of them, or whatever it was. But I want you to know, this is not the scene that you have. Elisha's not there holding these reins, and these oxen are before him, and he's plowing the field, and Elijah comes by. Elisha has got the yoke with him. He's got it on and he's, he's one of them. He says, come on, let's do this. He is doing the work of the ox. He's not guiding it. He's not directing it. He's getting his hands dirty. You know what this tells me? This guy's all in. I mean, this guy is so committed to whatever he does. He is all in. And he left the oxen. And, oh, and then it says at 12. And Elijah passed by him. And Elijah doesn't say anything. He cast the mantle upon him. Brother Connors from Canada preached on this a couple years ago or some time ago about that authority and that blessing and that responsibility that comes with that mantle. But Elijah doesn't say anything. But look at Elisha, because I love this. He knows he's called, and he left the oxen. Now, some of you guys need to leave some stuff this semester and get all in. And look what he does next. He didn't kind of walk up to him and ran after Elijah. I mean, he is totally committed. He's all in. He's ready to go and said, let me, I pray thee. I, I, I got some things I got to finish. I got to do some things with mom and dad. I need to finish my responsibilities here in the field. But I'm telling you, Elijah, I am ready to go to South America. Hey, listen, I am telling you, Eastern Europe has got, I can't let go of it, but there are some things I got to do first. I am so ready to, to, to be with young people and be in youth, in, in youth ministries. I cannot wait till I start my church, but I've got to finish some 
things. Kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow them. Man, when I follow you, I'm going to do it, everything I got right now for mom and dad in the field, and then I'm going to give you everything. And he said unto him, go back again. I love this. Go back again for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and behold and boiled their, their flesh with the instruments. I'm not coming back. I'm never doing this again. There is no plan B. I am totally committed to the calling that God has given me and gave unto the people and they did eat. I think that's so great. Wherever he was, he was a blessing to those that were around him. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. He was all in plowing, and now he's going to be all in with Elijah. I want to tell you this, college students. If you're not going to be all in at West Coast, you're not going to be all in at Calvary Baptist. You're not going to be all in at Faith Baptist. If you're not all in at West Coast, you're not going to be all in in Peru. You're not going to be all in in the Philippines. If you're not all in right now, you cannot take a switch. When you cross over this thing, you shake pastor's hand, you get that diploma and you walk out and you go, you know what, now I'm going to be all in. It does not work. If you're not all in right now in your college days, it's not going to happen later on. I want to talk to you about all in. I have three questions I want to answer very quickly. Number one, what is all in? What does it mean? What is it? Number two, why should we be all in? And number three, how do I become? How do, how do I get going being all in? So let's look at a what, a why, and a how. Number one, what does it mean to be all in? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean no fun. Oh, okay, God, you finally went out. I'm 19. It's time. I'm going to go all in. There goes my plans. There goes my fun. Now, let me tell you something. When you get all in for the Lord, there is more joy and there is more happiness. There is more comfort. There is a greater peace than anything that the world will ever have. Let me tell you something. When you go all in for Christ, it does not mean no fun. I'll tell you what it else doesn't mean. It doesn't mean no friends. Oh, man. If I do this all in thing, I mean, like, nobody's all in. So if I go all in, no, you know what? You'll get the greatest friends in the world because you'll never have greater buddies you'll never have greater friends than those that are all in. And when you're all in, by the way, if you've ever played on a team that was all in, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The greatest friends you'll ever have in life are those that are all in. You, you say, oh boy, if I get all in, it's going to be no fun. If, I, if I'm going to be all in, it's going to be no friends. And if I'm going to be all in, it's going to be no future for me. No, I'm going to tell you this right now, college students. Going all in for the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give you the greatest future ever. God has plans for you. God has so many great things for you, but you will never receive those if you're not all in. If you're going to play the halfway game, you'll never see the future that God has for you. Okay, that's great, Brother Scheller. So what does it mean? Well, I got to tell you, I just couldn't come up with this little perfect little definition of all in. But one thing I did see. I truly believe to be all in, there are three ingredients. I don't know if you write notes or anything, but I'm going to ask you if you'd write these down. These are the three ingredients to being all in. Number one, complete commitment. Complete commitment. This is an ingredient. If you're going to be all in, there's got to be a complete commitment. 
It was April 1519. Hernando Cortez had left Spain with 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and 11 ships. After weeks and months of sailing, they arrived at their destination, the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. Their job, their goal, their mission was to take the treasures of the Aztec Indians and to conquer all the treasures of the Aztec Indians. They were in number 500 soldiers, 100 sailors. There were literally hundreds of Aztec Indians that they were going to have to fight. Hernando Cortez did something. Once they arrived at the beach and they all had landed after weeks and months of sailing, Cortez said, burn the ships. We ain't burning the ships here, bub. Burn the ships? Well, how do we get back to Spain? We're going to have to conquer the Aztec Indians to get their ships. There's no plan B. Burn the ships. At which, when I studied it historically, I just read this yesterday. Apparently, one of the soldiers laughed. Burned the ships? At which Cortez took his sword and killed him on the beach. And the rest said, let's find the gasoline. Let's start burning. <laughs> you know what Cortez put in those men? We ain't got plan B, guys. We will take the Aztec Indians or they will take us. But we have no plan B. We are completely committed. Man, I'm going to tell you, if you are ever going to be all in, you've got to be completely committed. No plan B. Would you all say that out loud? No plan B. Ooh, that sounded good. Second ingredient to being all in. Total trust. Total trust. You've got to be completely committed. Number two, you've got to have total trust. You know what I put down next is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. That's the key to this point. Trust, uh, uh, um, total trust. And acknowledge him in all thy ways and he will direct thy paths. Okay, so total trust means, God, I do not understand this, but I'm going to trust you. Um, last night, um, we met, uh, I met with the guys. Mrs. Dankey met with the girls. And I don't know what the girls thing was like. Can I tell you what the guys thing was like? We just gave a bunch of rules last night. I mean, we just went through rule after rule, talked about their dress, talked about their earbuds, talked about their entertainment. We just talked about everything. I don't know what the guys thought when they, when they left last night. It was not a pep rally, I'll tell you that. I mean, the guys, this is great. I'm so glad I'm here. This is super. I would imagine that every guy left the North Odd thinking this. Maybe they didn't say it in their mouth. I hope they did not. But in their heart going like, man, I don't agree with this. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. These, some of these rules. I mean, you know, they want distinction, male and female, and yet they won't let us have a beard. That's kind of distinctly male, you know, uh, you know at West Coast. I don't, yeah, don't, we don't need amens here, okay? I mean, I don't, I don't understand this. You know what? People that are all in totally trust. People that are all in, it doesn't always make sense. 
People that are all in say, you know what? I don't completely understand, God, what you're doing. I don't completely understand some of the things that are over me right now. But you know what, God? I'm going to trust you that this is where you have me and this is what you're going to do with my my life. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. I might have said it in chapel, but that's okay. I just love telling this story. In the early 1960s, the communist Chinese were taking over all of the islands in the South Pacific. I mean, they had gone through Indonesia, they had gone through the Philippines, and they were taking all those islands back then were British under the British Commonwealth. They were uh, still England and the United Kingdom still had a lot of those. So it was the British that were actually still the military power that were fighting the communist Chinese. Well, they were taking over island after island, these Chinese, these communist Chinese. And the British knew that there was no way that they were going to be able to feed them. But there was a group, there was a tribe of Indians called the Gurkhas Indians. And the Gurkhas Indians lived in these islands, in these jungles. They were known for their fierce, being fierce warriors. And one day the British commander had an appointment with the chief of the Gurkhas Indians in Indonesia. And he met with them and he asked them, Would you join forces with us? We know that you too do not want communism. We know that you too want to see the Chinese defeated. Would you join forces with us? Your men are the greatest warriors. They understand jungle warfare. They could have victory over these communists. Would you join with us? The British commander then said these words. What we will do is we will fly over the islands and drop your warriors into the jungles. And then they will be able to fight with them. The chief thought for a long time. And he was a fierce man and a great courageous warrior. He looked at the British commander and he said, we will not do this. We will not do this. Ah, the British commander was extremely disappointed. The next day, the Indian chief came back and he said, we will fight. We will go into the jungles and we will fight the communists. But two things you must do. Boy, the British commander said, whatever, man, what are they? Number one, you must fly your planes as low as possible over the jungles. And number two, you must fly your planes as slow as possible when the men jump out. The British commander said, oh, sir, I am sorry, but you've asked two things we really can't do. Number one, we've got to keep a certain speed in order for the plane to continue to fly. And number two, we've got to fly at a certain height so that the parachutes will open up. At which the Gurkhas chief said, Parachutes? What is that? They thought they were jumping out of the planes into the jungles. They didn't know they had a parachute. They just thought, okay, you're to go, you know? (laughs) They didn't know that there were parachutes. They didn't know they could... They just thought, we're going to jump out of the plane. You know what? That was total trust, and they didn't understand, and they didn't know. 
give us some college students this semester that says, I'm all in, man. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. You, did you know about this? No, I didn't know about that. You mean, you, you mean we could get help from other people in our classes? You mean we could? I don't know. I'm just jumping. You know what? Jump and trust God without knowing about a parachute. If you're going to be all in, number one, you got to have complete commitment. Number two, you have total trust. But number three, I am telling you, student body, this is a key ingredient to being all in. You got to have godly grit. You got to have godly grit. What does it mean that you're all in? It means you have complete commitment. It means you have total trust. And it means you have godly grit. What's godly grit? The ability to overcome hurt and hardness with endurance. The ability to overcome hurt and hardness with endurance. Now, this was my gem I loved when I was studying this. Okay, you ready? Hurt is the fertilizer that your spiritual fruit grows from. Hurt is the fertilizer that your spiritual growth, your spiritual fruit comes from. In other words, you're not going to have the crop you want spiritually if you don't have hurt in your life. That you come to this college and there's a little bit of hurt, oh, that's part of it, man. There's got to be that hurt. And you know what hardness is? Hardness is the wood that your spiritual passion burns with. Hardness is the wood that your spiritual passion burns with. Oh, this is class is really hard. Man, that syllabus is really tough. Boy, this is going to be really hard to have a job and to be do my soul winning. This is a hard place to go to college. That should be the wood that your passion to serve God burns with. And somebody who's all in looks at hurt and says, that's okay. The hurt's fertilizer. That's hard. Yeah. And I, I live off of hard stuff, man. That's a godly grit. And when somebody's all in, they are completely committed. They totally trust, and they got godly grit. Now that what all in means. Number two, why should I be all in? I'm not sure I like this complete commitment stuff, this total trust stuff, and this godly grit stuff. Why should I be all in? Three reasons. Number one, all in is absolutely, positively the only way to live the Christian life. College student, you got to get this. The only way the Christian life works is that you put your heart all the way in. Anybody who does not live the Christian life all the way will be the most unhappy people on planet Earth. I don't think the most unhappy people on planet Earth are those that have given themselves totally to the flesh. Because there's a pleasure of sin for a season. Oh, they're going to reap what they sow later on. They're going to reap that corruption. But i got to tell you what, there's a lot of people living in sin right now that are enjoying it. They are. I'll tell you the most unhappy people on the planet Earth are those that are believers in Christ. And you got one foot in the world, and you got one foot living for Jesus Christ. Because the Christian life doesn't work halfway. And I'll tell you the greatest illustration of that, the Israel. Israel wanders for 40 years. And even though God did some miraculous things for them, they wandered for 40 years because, because they were not in the promised land, but they didn't go back to Egypt. It was the worst place to live. College student, can I tell you something about your semester? All in is the only way to be. If you're going to go to West Coast, be all in. Number two, why should I be all in? Well, I think it's the only way to live the Christian life. Number two, all in is how you get God's best. The way to get God's best for your life is to be all in. 
That's when God blesses, is when the person is, I am God. I am completely committed to you. I am trusting you when I don't see in God. I've got, I'm, I'm going to have that godly grit. And, I, and, and Lord, I am not quitting. You bring the hurt on, the hardness on. God, it is then that God says, oh, right. Now I can really bless you. Now I can do something with you because of that. Now let me explain. Years ago, uh, me and my family, Marilee and I and the three boys, went camping. And we went out to Colorado. Marilee was born in Colorado, and she has all these childhood memories. And you know what? Childhood memories are not always the way, when you get older, not always the way. She said, Jim, I'll tell you where we got to go this year for our camping trip. We got to go to Four Corners. It is just the, I remember going to Four Corners when I was a little girl, and the boys have to experience it. I said, okay. And Four Corners is when you got the four states together. What do you got? Utah, Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico, or whatever it is. And you got all four states there, and there's a spot. And it's about as big as this piece of paper. And there's a spot where all four of those corners of those states come. And Marilee, I remember that morning we went to the four corners and she was so excited. I remember when I was a little girl, I went to the four corners. It was so cool. Well, we went. I don't think it was that great a deal. We went and we stepped. Karma. Oh, it was unbelievable. Four states. Okay, next boy, Ben. Do I have to? Yes, just step on there for mom, okay? Okay, all right. Luke. Daddy, I'm afraid of the four. No, 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 it's okay, it's okay, Luke. Just, just step on it. Okay, all right, Drew, let's go. Jump on it, and let's move, let's go, you know? It wasn't that great. And then she said, oh, Jim, my dad and mom took us to Mesa Verde. That's where the Indians live in the side of the rock. It is, and it's at the top, they had all, it's so cool. And we'll do our first night camping at Mesa Verde. I said, okay, man, sounds good. We went to Mesa Verde. It was a hole in the ground, man. It was terrible. It was no green anywhere. It was all rock. I was not impressed how Indians lived in the cave. I'm sorry, but it didn't do anything for me. The boys were very unimpressed. We, we, ate, we, we, we set up our camp that night. It was all it was was dirt. There was no trees around. It was just a terrible place. The next morning, we're having our breakfast. We do all of our cooking around a fire. We're having our family altar time. At the end of family altar, I said, hey, guys, is there anything you want to pray about? Ben raises his hand. Yeah, Ben, what? Another camping spot. I said, you know what, that's legit. I said, let's pray about that for tonight. Let's, because uh, uh, we are definitely leaving Mesa Verde, okay? So uh, let's pray about that. What do you guys want to see? Now, Dad, I'd like to see mountains. That's good. Let's pray about that. Let's pray for a camping spot with mountains. What else? Uh, Dad, I'd like to see mountains with snow on top. Ooh, well, it's kind of, you know, it's a little late in the season, but let's pray about it. Mountains with snow on it. That's cool. Let's pray about it. What else? Green trees, Dad. It'd be nice to have something green instead of stone. I said, let's pray for that. And then, you know, hey, what about a lake? Let's pray for a camping spot where there's a lake, there's green trees, mountains with, with snow. Little Drew says, Dad, let's pray for a camping spot that looks like a postcard. I said, that's cool. Let's do that. Let's pray for a camping site with a postcard. Okay, let's do it. So we prayed. Then we packed up and we started up the million dollar highway up uh, Durango, Cortez, up Telluride. And we went to Silverthorne. We had the day of our lives. It was so much fun. Boys played cowboys and Indians out in the woods. We'd stop. We'd take pictures. And we had that. It was just a beautiful ride. But it's getting late. It's getting late. Time was running, going by. And so we're, we're, we're going through, and I'm thinking to myself, we got to get a camping spot. we got to get a camping spot. We come into a little town called Ure. 
Now, we knew what we were going to do. The next day, we had already set an appointment in Uray to rent a Jeep to drive it up to track and up the Yankee Boy Basin, way up into the mountains, uh, up into the, I mean, it's going to be really cool. So we stopped, kind of make sure everything was okay with the, with the Jeep the next day, and we spent some time in Uray, and it was a really quaint little town, but it's getting late. So we get back in, the, in our vehicle, we start driving, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's getting dark, we gotta set up camp, we gotta cook a meal. About seven, eight miles outside of Uray, there it is, K-O-A. There's a campground. And I'm going, wow, that is so good. It's still gonna be enough light we can set. So I pull into the KOA, go into the office, get a camp spot down by the stream for $38. So we drive down there, nobody's saying anything. We drive down to the, the, the spot. It's getting late. I got to get the boys going. I open the door. I said, guys, let's get going. We had a, like a little minivan. I said, get the stuff out. They get out. Nobody is saying a word. Merrily, the boys aren't saying anything. We're getting the stuff out. Finally, Ben, my oldest. Ben says, hey, Dad. Hey, what? Let's get going. We got to get a fire going. We got to get dinner yet. We got the tents. We got to put up and everything. Dad, what, Ben? Is this what we prayed for? What, what are you talking about? This morning. Is this what we prayed for? Well, no, you know, sometime this week, God will give it to us, okay? You know, I mean, we, it's late now. We, did, we had a great day today, didn't we, Ben? Yeah, but Dad, is this what we prayed for? And then Luke comes in, Dad, we didn't pray for this. I, I don't see the mountains. And then Drew, Dad, Dad, there's no lake here. Dad, this is, and Mary Lee's going, Jim, is this what we prayed for? And I go, oh. I said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what, because I got them. I mean, a little psychology here. I got them. Hey, you know what? If they give us the money back for the camping spot, we'll go somewhere else. I go, they're not going to give us the money back. I go back in. They said, sure, here's your money back. I go, whoa. Well, like, I don't remember what time it was. It probably was after five, but it's getting dark now. We go another six miles, and there is Ridgeway State Park. Well, I'd never heard of Ridgeway State Park before. We pull in, and you know, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if they still got camping sites. We go in, we talk to the ranger. He says, the only thing left you got is primitive sites. That means there's no bathroom. I said, that's okay. We got our little porta pot with us, and we're, we're good. We like to, we do the primitive camping. I said, that'll be good. He said, we'll pick one out. And I'm looking at the thing, you know, I don't know. I picked this one out. 182. Lot 100, I have no idea where that is. Well, 15 minutes later, we find it, you know. And I'm telling you, there's nobody around or nothing. And we drive in. We got to get going. It is now dark. It is dark. We still got to do a campfire. We got to set up everything in the dark with our flashlights. We get everything set up. We get the meal. We go to bed. Next morning, and I am the only morning person in the Shetler family. <laughs> no one in the Shetler family is a morning person but me. So I wake up the next morning. I don't remember what time it was. It was kind of early. And I unzip the tent. And when I unzipped the tent, I went, oh, wow. This is absolutely amazing. I unzipped the tent, and from my tent, I took my camera, and from my tent, this is the picture that I took. That is not at a view. That is at Camp Site 182 Ridgeway State Park. I unzipped the tent, and I looked out, my t uh, out the tent, and I went, oh, man. <laughs> and I said, guys, guys, you got to wake up! And then the bear, what's up? My wife's going, 
what are you doing? What's wrong? I said, look. And my boys look out that tent and they go, that's what we prayed for. That's what we prayed for, Dad. I said, oh, guys, is that the coolest thing or what? That's what we prayed for. Later that day, we, uh, we stayed there for about three, four days. We went down to Uray. We got the Jeep. So I'm signing the papers for the Jeep. And as I'm signing the papers for the Jeep, Marilee screams. She's on the other side of the store. She's at one of those postcard racks. And she's looking at postcards. And she says, Jim, Jim, come here. And I come on over. And she says, look at this postcard. The postcard on the back says, from Ridgeway State Park, Campsite 182. It was a postcard from that spot. <laughs> I said, that's what we prayed for. Now you hear me, college students, because some of you are juniors. Some of you are seniors. Have you experienced why you came to this college? Are you settled? Are you happy with camping at KOA? Otherwise known as Lawrence. Okay, no. <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing, just teasing. Are you satisfied with your college experience? Are you going like, yeah, you know, it's all right. You know what, it's whatever. You know what your problem is? You're not all in. It is time for you to say, you know what? I got one semester left. I got two years left. I got three years. I'm all in, man. I'm all in at this place. I am totally, I am completely committed. I am totally trusting. And you know what? I've got godly grit. And I am going to be all in. It is the only way to get the blessings of God is to be all in. By the way, I got to just tell you this. There is a third reason why you should be all in. Number one, the Christian life doesn't work without it. N number two, that's how you get God's blessing. Number three, can I tell you the third reason why you need to be all in? Your Savior was. Your Savior was all in. In Isaiah chapter 50, verses 6 through 9, it talks about that he turns his cheek to the smiters. And he turns his cheek and, and he turns his head as a flint. And he knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's going to go through. And Jesus Christ was all in for your stinking sin. Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. And I am going to tell you, for 33 and a half years, he was all in. He was all in to do the redemption work. He was all in when he died on that cross. Brother Shetler, why should we be all in? It's the only way the Christian life works. Why should I be all in? It's when you really get God's blessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why should I be all in? Because Jesus Christ was all in for you. You ought to be all in at this place. Really quickly as we close, how do I become all in? Let me give you four things really quickly. Number one, take responsibility. Own it. Own it, college students. Now, i got to tell you, I just love that Sam came and started uh, the, uh, the chapel with prayer. I love that, that Austin got up. You know what? This is your college. We minister here, but this is your college. Own it, man. So if you see a piece of trash somewhere, it's on your college campus. No, it's Lancaster Baptist. No, it's your college. Be all in. And when you're all in, you take responsibility. By the way, when you start taking responsibility for your life, you're going to be amazed what's going to start happening. Own it, college student. This is your college experience. This is your time. This is your day. Take responsibility and say, you know, well, I'm a sophomore and I'm not the room leaner. That room is your room. 
You own that room. You take responsibility for that room. And if something's wrong in that room, yeah, well, it's their fault. It's their little contention. You step in and you help out. You help others. Well, that, you know, they got a problem over there. Own it. Take responsibility. We're all fellow co uh, classmates together. This is your college. Number one, take responsibility. Number two, take rejection. Take rejection. Now, listen, you will never be all in that you're not going to get a fight. Number one, by foes. There's people that are your enemies that are saying, what are you doing down there? You, all in, you got to take rejection. Number two is friends. Some of your friends back home are going like, what? hey, are you ready to move on? Are you ready to transfer? Listen, man, listen, you got to be able to take rejection. And maybe it's even from your family sometimes. And that is tough. But I will tell you where you will get the greatest rejection is your flesh. Now, let me tell you something. As I sat back there last night, I thought to myself, you know, Lord, the number one reason why people are not all in is because of the flesh. See, here's what the flesh will do. The flesh knows that it's losing some things because you're at a Bible college. The flesh knows that you are so under restriction here. There's so many things you can't do with the girl you're dating. There's so many things that you're not allowed to go and do because there's restriction and there's enough enforcement of it and there's enough eyes around that your flesh can't do everything. So here's what your flesh begins to do. Your flesh begins to make a truce with your spirit. Hey man, let's negotiate a little bit here. You give this a little bit. Okay, you got Saturdays for soul winning. I get them Thursday night when they're all by themselves in the dorm. I'm gonna tell you, when you go all in, your flesh cannot handle that. When you go, you know what? I am taking a step and I am trusting the Holy Spirit to work in my life and I am no longer going to live this Christian life halfway. I am going all in for God. I am totally committed. That is the only way to trust the Holy Spirit to defeat the flesh in your life. You got to be all in. Take responsibility, take rejection. And these last two, I'll make it as quick as possible. Take reproof. Take reproof. Good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better's best. This is a mark of somebody who's all in. If you're an athlete and you are all in, I mean, if you are all in on the basketball team, I mean, man, you just are all in, then I guarantee you this, what Coach Beeson says to you and corrects you, you don't have a problem with. Man, thanks, Coach. Man, so that's what I'm not doing right. That's right. Do you realize every time you come down the court, you're doing this? Well, I, yeah, but you don't understand. If you let me play a little bit longer, maybe I did it. No, 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 no. You take reproof. You're, you're, you're a teacher. You're in class. And your instructors are trying to help you how to teach. I'm teaching HOM 3 this semester. And I don't know how many guys I got, 15, whatever it is. I'm going to tell them this tomorrow in my class. Guys, don't ever come in this class until, first of all, you leave your ego outside that door. We want to help you guys be the best communicators possible. And if you're going to go like, well, you don't know that much about preaching, Brother Scheller. Hey, where I come from, this is the way we preach and all that. You know what? You're never going to do anything for God. You've got to be able to take reproof. You've got to be able to take correction. Some of you are so sensitive that if you're corrected about anything, it's, yeah, that just is an indicator you're not all in. Because when somebody is all in, they're like, man, give it to me, man. I want to be the best I can. I want to do the best I can for God. Show me how I can be sharper. Show me what I can do better in education. Show me what I can do better as a preacher. Show me what I can do better at soul winning. Show me. Correct me. If I'm doing something wrong, I want to know. That person is all in. And finally, number four, take a risk. Take a risk. Take a risk.
You are not all in until you're willing to take a risk. I didn't want any introduction at all. I wanted to get up here and preach. I was going to get up here before Dr. Getch got up here. <laughs> like usual, I can't believe your introduction. Because I want to finish with this. So I knew that I had arthritis in both knees. And so I began to ask everyone, and I'm going to tell you, I truly believe that 30% of Americans have had a knee replacement, okay? I have talked to so many people in the last two years about knee replacement. I mean, uh, uh, uh. and you know, I listened to them all. And they really did give a lot of good advice. I had four people. I had an uncle that I really respect and admire. He's a negotiator in Detroit with the unions. This guy is up, up. He is a very wise, godly man, my Uncle Carl. Uncle Carl said, Jim, do not do both knees. And then he explained why, and I gotta tell you, my Uncle Carl really, I, I listen to my Uncle Carl. Raymond has a friend, my brother has a friend named John, who did the two knees within a year, and he says, that's the way to do it. You do not want to go through therapy, and then you got to do your right knee, and then, hey, as soon as you're done with working on your right knee for an hour, you got to do your left knee. You don't want to do them both at the same time. I really respected John. I really did. Here's a man who went through it. I really, I, I really respected him. My primary doctor at Kaiser Permanente is a doctor named Dr. Singla, who I've been really trying to witness to. And a lot of times, whenever I go see Dr. Singla, I say these words. Dr. Singla, what would you do if it was you? What would you do with your family? Dr. Singla says to me last year, I understand by this report that you're talking to Dr. Odono about doing both knees. I said, yes. Will you always ask me, Jim, you always ask me, what would I do? Can I tell you this? I would not do both of them at the same time. Wow, this is my primary doctor. I'm getting advice from people. There's a good friend of mine who's a, a, an administrator of a Christian school in Tennessee, John Goodale. From, he was in Hawaii for years. John had one. He said, Jim, whatever you do, don't do both of them. Well, I got to tell you something. I'm not like, yeah, stick it in your face, man. I'm doing it. You know, go big or go home. You know, no. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about my life, okay? And, and we're talking about this, but I got to tell you something, guys. I'm thinking to myself, okay, first of all, none of those people know the pain that I'm in. And I will tell you, last fall was the most pain I've ever been in my life, okay? And I'm thinking every day, so I'm going to do my right knee only to wake up every day and my left knee hurts? I said, I know something could happen in surgery to one of them. It's going to mess everything up. But Lord, and then this takes a long time to get over. When am I going to ever clear a schedule again and have this again? And Marilee and I talked and we prayed. And I said, honey, I just think I need to do the whole thing. I just think we need to be all in. I just think I need to do both. It's not because, hey, man, put it on, bring it on. No, I am scared to death. Okay, I hate pain. And I'm telling you the thing about Oxycontin, I meant it, man. I'm telling you. I don't want pain. But I will tell you. I said, you know what, Marilee? We don't know what's going to go on. The schedule is clear. When have I ever, in the last 40 years of ministry, had six weeks that I didn't have someplace to speak or whatever? And I don't want to do it all over again next year, and I don't want to wake up every morning. You know what? I'm taking the step. I'm trusting God. I'm going to get them both done. You know, that may not mean that much to you guys, but I will tell you, that was a big step. 
And I thought to myself, you know, all my life, whatever I've done, I've done it all in. Might as well do them both at the same time. Let's do it. Let's do it. God help. God be there. Lord, I believe you've cleared the schedule. I believe you've given me the surgeon. Lord, let's do it. My surgeon did not encourage me to do it. He did think that I was a good candidate for it. I was a little younger. He said, I think you're kind of a driven guy. I think you might be able to do this. But he didn't say, hey, go, go for two. He said, you got to make that decision. College student, I stand here today, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I did, two, that I did both knees. I want to encourage you to do something. You will one day stand before the Lord and say, you know what? I was a sophomore at West Coast, and one day in chapel, I decided to be all in. My Savior was all in. I wanted God's best for my life, and I really did believe it was the only way to live the Christian life. I'm here now. You know what? We should not have homesickness this semester. No, we shouldn't. Now, homesickness is not a bad thing. It does mean that you have an attachment to your home and you got good memories from your home. But you know what? You need to be all in. He said, you know what? i got to finish. And you know what? We shouldn't have people thinking, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going. I'm doing it. You're here. Let's be all in while you're here. Take us time. Make a commitment. And by the way, we never even got to the end of the story. But let me tell you about the end of the story. Elisha, at his death, this guy is still all in. He brings, the, the king comes and sees him. And he says, man, you got to help me. you got to bless me in these wars. And Elisha says, pick up the arrows. This is at his deathbed. Elisha's about to die now. He's lived a whole life. He's at his deathbed and he tells the king to pick up the arrows. And he picks up an arrow and, and, the, and the king shoots it. And Elisha says, is that it? What do you mean, is that it? Pick up the arrows. He picks up a second arrow and he shoots it. Okay, now, Elisha, I want your blessing. He says, is that it? Oh, the king picks up one more arrow and he shoots it. And he says, yeah, that's it. And Elisha said, oh, oh. Second Kings chapter 13, verses 19 through 24. Elisha says, oh. Because you only picked up three arrows, because you only broke those three arrows, because you did that, you will have three victories and then you'll be defeated. Had you picked up that whole quiver, had you been all in, God would have blessed you. He would have been the only northern kingdom king that would have been blessed. Elisha said, you would have been blessed had you taken all of them. And broken all of them, you would have had, but because you fiddled around. And I am telling you, this is the great thing I want to share with you. Don't leave this place that you did it halfway, that you went to West Coast halfway. You're here. Be all in. Give it everything you got, man. Do it in every class. Go to work. Let the hardness, let the hardness be logs. Ooh, that's just burning my passion. Let the hurts, let the hurts from other people and the hurts from other things, let it be fertilizer so that you grow. Get some godly grit to you, young person. Get all in and get God's very best for your life. And if you do it here, it'll happen out there. And you'll begin to see a path. And you'll say, oh God, I want to be all in. You are not looking at much, but I will tell you, Marilee and I have been all in and I am so thankful we have. It's the only way to live the Christian life. College students, get
get all in and we will have a semester like you have never experienced in your entire life.